Welcome back to the Annie Gamers Podcast. By my count, it's been about six months since our last episode, but according to the FeedBurner statistics, there are still about 60 of you guys listening to this podcast. In those six months, our main blog, AnnieGamers.com, sort of went on an unofficial hiatus, which is code for I didn't have time to post anything. But we're back now and continuing to post anime and manga and video game coverage. This episode is our review of the Spice and Wolf anime, which was admittedly supposed to be episode 36, but I had a recording of Alex Levitt's panel, and he really wanted me to put it up. And then the whole site went on hiatus for a while. So now Annie Gamers is back, and I'm finally posting this review, which our co-host Bradley C. Meek has been bugging me about for about six months. By the way, I'm trying out some new intro and outro music, so please let me know what you think of it. The song in this episode is called Kill Me by the band Lame Drivers. Enjoy. Welcome to the Anime Gamers Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Minto, also known as Vanfo, and the guy who is ruining my flow is... Uh, this is Bradley Meek. I'm a dude from the internet who likes to mess with Evan. He lies. He's in the real world. So, uh, who else is with me? I am Inc., also of Anime Gamers. Yeah, we just finished recording our previous episode, so we're following it up with uh, the real thing we're here for, which is to talk about an anime called Spice and Wolf, and I think we're going to get right into that. Spice and Wolf is certainly a show. I can say that much about it. That is, that oh, that is, is uh, shop observation, Evan. I, I disagree. How can you call that a show? <laughs> but that really is an expression of my opinion of it. Because you guys, I think, really liked it. But I was a little bit, a little bit eh on it. Spice and Wolf aired in 2008. At least the first season and the second season came out in uh, 2009 it's based on a light novel and also had a, a manga adaptation so spice and wolf takes place in a sort of kind of like a renaissance italy city states sort of thing but it's not really um at least from what i have seen which is i haven't actually had a chance to watch the entire show but i watched the first season and a uh, little bit of the second season it it's sort of like a non-specific European setting. Uh, they don't really tell you what you know if, if it's in any sort of real country. No, it's it's in a fantasy world, right? Your main character is Kraft Lawrence, uh, who I have nicknamed Macaroni and Cheese just because of his first name. Okay, Tom Hammerford. <laughs> <laughs> so he is a merchant, and he uh, like a traveling merchant. He uh, he kind of roams the land with a wagon and buys goods and sells goods and sort of works the differing prices of goods in order to, to make a profit. Would you say he's a trader of sorts? Uh, yes, he is. Or as I like to call them, uh, tradey, tradey, uh, money, money makers? That's <laughs> oh, just no. not good. Wow, that's worse than Evan's jokes. So for, for reference, we were just looking at this website called TomHaverFoods.com, which is from, uh, what's the show? Is Parks it and Parks Recreation. and Recreation? Yeah, Parks and Recreation. Yeah. It's just a bunch of nicknames for foods, so we're going to riff on this. Parks and Recreation. Parks and Recreation. Parks and Recreation. Yeah, so, so we've been referencing this for a little while. This is going to keep derailing our, uh, our conversation about Spice and Wolf here. Oh. So Lawrence is traveling to this kind of, it's at least from, from what I saw, it's kind of depicted as, as almost this, this comfort zone for him. It's this small pagan town because the church is a big influence in this uh, show, so it's kind of a very important thing that this this town is is a pagan town. They have a, a wolf god that sort of governs their their wheat harvest. So he travels to this town. Uh, he has this, uh, there's this girl he's known there for a while, and they kind of have a little bit of uh, romantic tension going on. So she's kind of chosen in this this ceremony to wear the mask that represents this, this wolf god who's called Holo. And uh, what ends up happening is during this ceremony, Holo kind of materializes as a human with ears and a tail and a naked 16 year old body yeah yeah no clothes I, I like to think it's over 18 they describe her explicitly as mid-teens in the show I will have God you know damn it. 
So she materializes in Lawrence's wagon, which I don't actually remember exactly why. It was something about there being, like, the wheat in there or something. He later finds out that she's been sleeping in there after he leaves the town, I believe. So now he's he's stuck with this with this girl who is uh, kind of, you know, sticks out from a crowd as being uh, this strange girl with, with ears and a tail. And she describes herself as, as Holo the Wise Wolf, and she her ears have the ability to tell if people are lying. And Lawrence decides to, to keep her around because so, so, he obviously is attracted to her for one thing, but also uh, he kind of justifies it as, oh, she could help me in my business transactions. Well, he also made a promise to her. That's a key plot point. Yes. Oh, that, that is right. Yes. I forget exactly when that promise is made, but he did make, he does make a promise to her to bring her to the north, uh, which is where she is originally from, and she's trying to return In there. fact, to uh, get out my neckbeard just a little bit more, um, it's not even technically <laughs> a par- uh, promise. It's a contract yes. that uh, she will basically be his assistant, and in exchange, uh, he will take her north back to her homeland. Because uh, she is a very homesick goddess. Who has been forsaken by the people she once yeah. provided for. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yes. That's very important. They, she's sort of, uh, is, she's unable to give them a, a fruitful harvest all the time because sometimes it has to not be good and there has to be this kind of ebb and flow. And so the people have, have sort of forsaken her. They still do the ritual, but they they kind of have uh, have given up on this this goddess. So she sort of feels kind of left behind by the the people she was once friends with. So the story uh, is often described by, like, this is what I heard from most people before I watched it, that it was like, oh, it's medieval economics, and that's all the show is about. But really, after watching it, I really get more the impression it really is a, uh, it's a romance. It's like a fantasy romance with with some, you know, like the economics are kind of the, the back end of the mm. story that's kind of keeping it going. But it's definitely, it is about the relationship between uh, Lawrence and Holo. What do you guys think? I've been, uh, mostly... I think people. I think it's um, simplified to a relationship between Holo and Lawrence a lot. But really, um, what what the series does well is it uses a lot of backdrops. It uses an overcroaching religion, its influence on the land and its mm-hmm. peoples, its effect on economics and trade and people's lives as consequence. I think that's that's what it does brilliantly. Is it cloaks that theme inside a romance about you know a, a god gone astray or forsaken forsaken god taking comfort in a human's company? Right. Yeah. the The church is is definitely a large presence in the show, uh, and the conflict between uh, the church, which is uh, basically Christianity. I don't think they. I forget if they really explicitly say it is, but it basically is, uh, and it's a conflict between. Christianity and, and paganism, basically, and, and Holo represents that that paganism because she really mm. is a, a pagan god. So that that is yeah, that was a, definitely a very interesting uh, backdrop to the show, and, and kind of whenever that conflict with the church came up, I thought that the the show got considerably more interesting because it had a sort of political element to it. There's a bit of that. Um, it's very hard to get politics right in a fantasy series because politics very much lends itself to a tell don't show way of narration, and now try to imagine doing Mm. the same thing for economics. And um, while a lot of people like this show because of Holo and her relationship with Lawrence uh, Kraft, I like the show because of that. I love it because of its economics. Economics in fantasy worlds are generally something that's entirely background it, it just, it, you know, it's something that exists. They have this magical currency, and it's usually a singular currency that's traded throughout the land, or they have a kind of barter system. I'm a bit of an economics geek, and uh, so I was extremely pleased to find out that uh, there's actually some fairly uh, true-to-life real-world economics in here, where characters have to make difficult decisions based on how the market is going. Which sounds uber exciting, I know, but the, I know, right? The, the the what the show does to sort of offset that endless stream of equations is use the character's relationship to justify, say, okay, I can't buy you food, but what I will do is buy you a dress to cover up your ears, so you're not taking a, taken away by the Inquisition in this next town. 
It helps ground the economics down into human terms that makes it more relatable for the audience, is that we have a pair of people that we care about. And watching uh, how uh, they interact with the economy makes it much more engrossing than just having stand-ins, flat stand-ins, explaining everything to us. Yeah, I thought what was really interesting is um, Lawrence is, is your main character, but he kind of is already an expert, or at least is portrayed at the beginning as being an, an expert of, of all of this, uh, all the trading and the economics. So usually you would expect your main character to be the one who doesn't know anything about it and is learning about it from someone else. But Holo is actually, uh, she's also very much a main character, but Lawrence is really your, your main identifying character. But Holo is the one who's, who's asking questions all the time and, and learning, and she's basically, you're learning about the economics through her going, oh, you know, what is, why did you make that decision, Lawrence? And I, I think it, it does kind of work. I don't, I never really felt pulled out like I was being lectured by Lawrence. It's fascinating to think that she is older than the concept of trading itself. Yet still knows nothing of trading. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, she's been in a little podunk village for uh, aeons. And that, that sort of brings me to some of my problems with, uh, with Holo as a character. And while, while like, I, I feel like she's a character who has a lot of potential, so there are these moments where I really, really like her. But uh, what I don't like is that she is a goddess, but for a fair amount of the time, she acts like a 16-year-old girl. And, and I just... I, I really that's something I really don't like in a lot of anime is when they they take people who should have like hundreds or thousands of years of experience and make them just act completely like they are just a normal human being and I really would have preferred Holo have the sort of tone of being a goddess that she has sometimes she sometimes has this very kind of haughty uh, air to her where she is she's like oh you know I, I know all of these things and she frequently says I am a holo the wise wolf I, I, I like that but then sometimes she'll just be like I'm so lonely oh you know and she'll be kind of like way just not very strong a character and I would expect that someone who had lived through as much as she had would be a much stronger character you guys will probably disagree with me and I would well, like to hear if I could field think. it first um, there's because Bradley will probably have much better of an explanation than I will, but uh, there, there's two things. If uh, if Holo was consistently wise and overbearing and could uh, just outlay or just offer up every an answer to every situation possible, it would make for a horribly boring story. Um, <laughs> the the second part of that is this is a, a the incarnation of a god who's been trapped in their current form for so many years, hiding from villagers who have hunted her, with no contact with anyone for at least, I forget how many years in the village. So she's bored, and she wants to have fun, and she wants to, you know, interact. And if she can do that via flirting, then that's that uh, with with craft. Uh, I, I do like the flirting, I will say. That that is not a part of her character that I disliked. I thought I think the two of them bounce off of each other really well. Yeah, the the voice actors do a tremendous job, both the dub and the sub, and the, the writing is right there. It's it's on top of each other and just really quick repartee. But uh yeah, so uh my my impression at least is that she's a very bored goddess and just really wants to interact, so she's eager at any any point, so she may be playing dumb at a large part or just honestly doesn't know the intricate workings of man. Yeah, exactly what Ink said. Um, I think I'll also add that there is that undercurrent um, where uh, she is thousands of years old, even though she doesn't act it. And she has been through um, more lovers than she can remember. And while that isn't something that comes up Mm. a lot in the first season, uh, there are several scenes in the second season where they really bring that to the forefront. So what you're talking about, it is an element, but in part because of the reasons Ink said, it's not brought to the forefront. And I like it more as kind of an undercurrent um, that uh, enriches her character and uh, makes her more interesting. And on top of that, um, she reminds me in a way of kind of the Greek gods or goddesses who were uh, very flawed people and very um, capricious and impulsive. Uh, 
she seems to be a, a little more modeled after that. I don't mean to be pretentious by bringing up Greek mythology here. That's just really what she reminds no, me it's of. Cool. I, I kind of appreciate that she does feel like um, an old goddess. And I, I really can't think of any other instance mm. in anime where that holds true. That's actually a really good uh, uh, point. And there's sort of, sort of a blend between Greek goddesses, and then I forget the, the proper name for them, but the, the Japanese gods of objects. or the Kami, the, kami yeah. Um, blend between the Greek gods and Kami, because she literally inhabits the wheat. She is the god of the wheat, so she can travel. Mm -hmm. That's why... That's how Lawrence actually can travel with her, as he keeps a bit of the wheat that from that village. Yeah, it's tied around uh, her neck um, like a charm. And that, and that's something the first season doesn't play with much, uh, but I don't know if the second season does that more, like the idea that, that without that wheat, she can... Nope, it, it doesn't come up at all. It does, actually, because... Mm. Uh, it does, because oh, there's a couple of times where Kraft parts with a couple of the seeds. Oh, man, I can't remember the episodes. I, I know it came up during that whole um, contract with the other merchant who was going to steal her away from him. Mm -hmm. But um, it, it does actually come up at least one other time. So they do, they do play with it with a little bit. I'm going to point out here, because you mentioned uh, the previous lovers that she's had. I really did like, there's one time in the first season she references a previous, like very, at the very beginning, I think, she references a previous lover she had. And I, I remember thinking to myself, oh boy, because she describes him. I was like, that sounds like a cool main character. I wish we had that guy. Because I think Lawrence is dead boring. He, I can't even like describe his character. He is just, he's there. Especially compared to Holo, who has like a wide range of, of emotions. He ends up being like just totally flat. I can't like I I using the the red letter media metric for <laughs> characterization if anybody has seen yep. those uh, Star Wars reviews that they, they have a very good uh a very good description of like of um kind of figuring out you know in a somewhat objective form it can never be objective they they ask you to basically describe the character without describing how they look their occupation or their role in the story like basically just describe their personality and I'm not getting much for Lawrence. He's a nice guy, I guess. That's like the the standard anime male protagonist descriptor, though. I, I was thinking there are aspects to him that I that would seem flat immediately. Um, like, yeah, his his whole character, his whole the whole aspect of his being is trade. When you meet him, and his only life goal is to open a shop. Which, you know, reasonable for a merchant who's always on the road. Right. But then you start to factor in things like, okay, he's obviously older than most of anime's leading men. He's, you know, approaching midlife for that era. Um, he, he wants to settle down and, you know, not be on the road. So he's trying as shrewdly as possible to gain his wares. Um, taking on a companion when he does is really risky for him. Uh, in terms of, you know, he has to split expenses, you know, can he barely feed himself and wor still work up enough money? Um, Especially so it, considering how much alcohol Holo consumes. <laughs> My kind of girl. <laughs> um, so, it, it, in an essence, it's a really dry equation, despite the amount of liquor. Um, <laughs> you know, it, and which, which really suits the theme of the show, because you're dealing with, you know all economics all the time, so of what worth is a companion? And you don't want to have too charismatic a character be your leading man in that situation, because it just wouldn't seem believable. At least to me. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't quite ring true to me when you end up having... Like, like at a certain point it hit me that not only is he kind of similar in, in terms of describing his personality to like a, a typical harem protagonist... He also is like dangerously close to me describing him as harem as Whoa. a harem protagonist. I would not because it is not actually a harem, uh, and it does it. It's too close for comfort for me because uh, most of the, at least in the first season, most of the supporting, actually all of the supporting characters of any note uh, are women and have some sort of uh, relationship with him. 
the second season, you get to know a, uh, a shop vendor that he's known throughout his travels, and he actually remains the supporting character, I think, through most of that season. Okay, see, that sounds really yeah, cool. Yeah. The first arc, um, which it, it's a two-arc season, so it divided into six episodes each. And also the rival merchant is male in uh, the first arc. Um, all right, let me take this red-letter media test. Uh, assertive is a way I would describe Lawrence. <laughs> Um, decisive, knowledgeable, um, straight man, uh, dry. Um, all of these are qualities that in real life actually would make him a boring person, but makes him feel fairly true to life to me. It's part of it is just the curse of being the straight man. You're not going to be as interesting Mm. as, uh, the crazy person that you're bouncing off of. Um, but he definitely has his own character. And I think a lot of that shows um, not so much in his banter with uh, Holo, but in the decisions that he makes and how he uh, decides to go about trading. He's an aggressive uh, trader who likes to take risks, and he ends up getting burned for that. Um, Hmm. I did think that was a great scene, actually, when he, that whole part where he ends up, you know, we see that he's made a mistake was a really good uh oh, absolutely. good way to mix things uh, up. Yeah, I'm glad to see that he doesn't always succeed in all his ventures. In fact, he seems to fail about as often as he succeeds and when he succeeds it isn't always a very profitable success. Um yeah, I really think you're underselling him. Yeah. Uh he's a better character than that. He's certainly no flimsy uh harem lead. He has a backbone for one thing. Uh, he definitely makes his own decisions. He'll consult Holo, but his decisions are his own in the end. And he's drawing from his own experience of being years and years of working as a traveling merchant. I, I really don't see him being a dry character at all. I'm sorry, a boring character. He is dry, though. He was. I, I was bored by him. And maybe it is because he's just kind of eclipsed by Holo. Uh, but but I, I never... like like you. The words you use to describe him... Uh, I can I can kind of see them, but some of them feel like a little bit of like kind of extrapolating, like making things that that maybe didn't mm. really that weren't really there in the show, like uh, kind of projecting mm. a a person onto him. I I I never really felt like he he did much beyond like like if you just described him as like he's a traitor, like that describes everything basically in his character as far as I'm concerned. Oh, you can be a loopy character and still be a traitor. Probably not a very successful one, but uh, certainly more interesting on screen. Yeah, I don't. I just never really felt like I, I, I felt anything for him as a character. He feels he feels a little bit like an audience projection character. Like he's just there for you to kind of like, oh, you know, that kind of project yourself onto him. He's a lot like some economics professors I've had. <laughs> <laughs> you project yourself onto economics professors. I'm like him. I know, right? That's kind of pathetic. That's why I really don't think he's an audience stand-in. Uh, <laughs> he may be a stand-in for the author, come to think of it. I don't know. I really don't know the guy. Maybe That might be true to an mm. extent. But I, I think the character makes sense in that mm. you're underselling him. Even though um, he just... I, know, I, I get that um, compared to the bright, crazy flame that uh, Holo is, his light is very dim. That, that analogy might have been pretty poor, but... Um, I think you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. And it's really the the contrast between, you know, the bright and dim flames that drive everything. Yeah, you don't want... want you, there's got to be an even play between the two of them. I think I get what you're saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was what you were saying, right? As, yeah, <laughs> as, as, as bright as Hollow is, has to be as dry as Lawrence is. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you wouldn't have the odd couple. Uh, you know, like, on that note, something I really liked about him is that he is, and this is probably something that uh, is a turnoff for some people, is that he is totally not an action hero. Oh, definitely. And yeah. I thought that was really cool, that he is he's not really able to hold his own in a fight, mm-hmm. and that Holo has to actually often do that for him. Mm-hmm. Goodness, isn't there an arc where uh, Holo gets kidnapped, and he solves this kidnapping problem with economics? Loved that. Yeah, but even, like... Uh, I think in uh, if I'm uh, assuming correctly, that's the the first arc in the first season. Maybe? Second um, arc, I think. The fir- is it that that's okay. the one where we actually find out the namesake of the series, though, right? <sighs> so when when he wins, when he gets her back yes, under contract, maybe. they they. Oh, that's the second arc. Yeah, you're right. You're Spice right. and Wolf. Yeah. 
Yeah, the stupid oh spice. Which was Wolf, the huh? name drop if I ever heard it. <laughs> oh jeez, it's yeah, right. not as bad as the name of their website though. Spicy Wolf. Yeah. Yeah, I know. After every episode, Spicy Wolf. What's up with that? It's new, new sushi flavor. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Spicy Wolf made with real wolf. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, and uh, there are two instances. Uh, well. I forget. It's probably actually more like one instance, if I'm being really specific, where Holo has to turn into a giant wolf to save Lawrence, which is like a very cool reversal of that, that what you would expect from like the Moe thing where it's like, oh, the guy's going to protect her. But like, no, he needs protecting. But what I like about that, too, is that she's really ashamed to take, you know, that huge monstrous form. Right. Um, I, I really enjoyed that about the series as, you know, ex, as uh, vulnerable as being this uh, naked, you know, teen girl or whatever uh, in uh, in furs, you know, her real vulnerability comes when she's this 90 foot tall wolf that can decimate anything in her path. You know, mm. I, I didn't quite understand where that was coming from because that's like her original form. So I don't really I, I never quite got how she was so like. Because she's like, possibly the last of her kind. To do that. And she was trapped in the human form mm. for at least a couple of generations in the human village. That may have been something I didn't pick up on. Was she trapped in that form? I thought she was like in... I thought she only materialized into that form at that time. Oh, yeah. You know, I think you're right. I, I don't know. It's been ages, actually, since um, I've seen the first season. But it says a lot that I remember so much about it. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think she was just kind of in the wheat yeah, or something, yeah. and then she kind of materialized at the time into the the girl. So she was alone, certainly, but not trapped in the human form. Mm. Yeah, I, I can kind of. She mentions it, I, or this, it's kind of implied that it's you know because people are afraid of mm-hmm. her that she doesn't like that. Yeah. But it, it just seems weird to me that it's like her nature is to be that wolf. And a couple of times she complains about like, oh, if I if only I were in my wolf form, I could do this. And then it seems weird for her to be reluctant to turn into that wolf form. I, I kind of like, though, that she has mixed feelings about that. Again, she's she's definitely not a Moe stereotype, which is sometimes what people kind of assign to her without having seen the show, mm. uh, much to my annoyance. She, she has pieces of it in there, but she is b- considerably better than most well, She has as uh, m- many pieces of Moe, yeah. if you want to call it that, as uh, any other fairly well-written character, because Moe is just distilling... Of fairly right. well-known stereotypes uh, into uh, tropes that are old by the time uh, they are already stereotypes. If that makes right, sense, right? But yeah, I, I, I don't think we're we're going to to really deny that there is some aspect of that intentional moe to her, right? She is a she is a girl with wolf ears and a wolf tail, like. There, she is being fetishized. Oh, of course, because you know they were trying to sell a story about economics. <laughs> right? <laughs> How else to bring viewers, readers? Yeah, you know? there is that aspect of it. Um, but I think that you're really selling her short if you try to uh, think of that as the essence of the character. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. But I'm saying that there is. She is certainly being sold at least. On the surface level, she is sold as a Moe character. And then when you get into the show, I will definitely say she she gets more um, developed than you would expect for that sort of character. But she, she you know, the hook is that she is a Moe girl. Exactly. And then you go, oh, she's not. Uh, the oh. cover, a cover with a wolf girl sells so much more than right. a cover with, say, balancing scales, which is just as important to the series. <laughs> mm. Or or with Lawrence, like Lawrence would not sell covers, no. sell uh, books or sell <laughs> I, anime. I, I don't know because you take a look at like the cover of Musishi, you know, who just just has you know mm. the ginkgo on the on the front cover. And I will say Lawrence has got an awesome little little goatee going. Yeah, on. he so does. Cool. Yeah. I wonder if he ever shaves, or does that just naturally happen? <laughs> and you can't really grow a full beard. It's it's actually he painted. Oh, it's not even hair. I should try that sometime. It's it's revealed in the secret the secret OAV that you didn't see. What? There's another dude. Gotta hit up for Google. <laughs> Torrent away. Oh, I have not gotten since we were talking about Moe. I have not gotten to the character that kills me, Nora, the shepherd girl. It is she is just like like 
holo holo as i said not really that moe like she seems kind of moe and at first nora certainly better than your typical moe girl but she is she is pretty up that alley of your your shy moe girl she's like really really shy and quiet and nervous and awkward and like Lawrence is really, he's kind of like attracted to her as well as to Holo. And there's a, a romantic tension, which is kind of uh, why she gets introduced to the story, at least from, from a writing perspective. They, the real way that she gets introduced is um, they meet her when walking, when um, traveling to a, a city. And then they end up uh, sort of using her to, uh, to get Lawrence's money back after he loses all of it. And uh, they try to pull off a gold smuggling operation. I believe by having... Have it, what, is, what is it? Do they hide the gold in the sheep's wool? Or do they have the sheep eat the gold? <laughs> I don't remember. Do you guys remember? Goodness, I don't I, remember. I re- watched See, it recently, I but I forget. I kind of remember this arc being a fairly lame ending. Uh, yeah, it was not very good. But the idea of it was really cool. The idea like, oh, we're going to take this this really uh, shy girl and then like kind of have her help us to smuggle gold, you know, and... and have the church not catch us. And it could have been this cool kind of like heist thing where it's like they had this mounting tension of them trying to keep away from the church, but it didn't really happen. Like the only tension was some wolves tried to attack them and then Holo talked to them and then Holo turned into a wolf and some, and she almost attacked, uh, almost attacked Nora. That's another thing I really didn't like this. I, I like, I really like it when shows kill people and they're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> No, 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 not, not just not just randomly. But I like it when when a show has the balls to actually like to do that and to just to to kill a major character for a good reason and then kind of deal with the consequences of it. Oh, okay. Um, you sounded a bit bloodthirsty there, they, son. Yeah, I just, I just like see people die. His favorite <laughs> no. show is Go Go no. Thirteen. <laughs> oh, you soulless man. <laughs> Uh, but but no, I, I I like it when a show has the guts to to actually kill a character and then deal with that. And there are two false deaths where Holo is like, you're like, oh, Holo killed somebody in the wolf form. Now we're gonna like deal with the consequences. But no, they don't die, and there's are no consequences. <laughs> um, and I was really hoping for that because I thought that would be really cool, and that would really like we were talking about her reluctance to turn into that form, and that would have added so much to it. Uh, for her to have actually like killed someone who, uh, especially someone like Lawrence knew, would really like kind of um, change up that dynamic in an interesting way. But uh, back to Nora. You've been watching too I, much. You guys Gundam. should tell me. I've been ranting. <laughs> I've been ranting too much about Nora. <laughs> you guys, what do you think of her, <laughs> Bradley? Oh my goodness, I don't remember much of this arc. She's the blonde yeah, girl. Yeah, I, re- I remember she was Shepherd referenced girl. in the second season, too. Holo sometimes bring her up, brings her up with a bit of jealousy. I, mm. I don't really have anything to add to what you said, simply because I don't have a strong enough memory. <laughs> I remember the first and second arcs very well. There might be a third arc, but I don't remember it. And I kind of remember the last arc, largely because I remember thinking, well, that's kind of a lame note to end on. I guess yeah, it was I will say that a heist doesn't seem in keeping with the uh, spirit of the series. In fact, smuggling gold doesn't seem in keeping with the spirit of the series because Lawrence um, follows right. the economic rules of the time almost the entire time. So having him do something illegal doesn't quite sit well with me as something the character as I knew him would do. He seems very strange. I, I thought it worked for me because it expressed the the desperation of him, like being you know just totally out of money in debt. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked the idea that we had seen him following the rules, and now we were seeing him him break out of them. But the problem was, it didn't feel like they were not. It didn't feel like they were breaking the rules, so it didn't have that tension because there was literally, as far as I remember, there was not a single scene of them actually having to worry about the fact that they were doing something illegal. Mm-hmm. They Other than the part where they left, mentioned, "Hey, we're probably doing something illegal," right? They they because they had Nora, they were able to get the gold right out, and then the only problem was traveling, and then it was basically just like any other arc. Yeah, so it was a cool idea, but I don't think it was executed. For the the only thing I'd add is um, 
I remember the the shepherdist was uh, at least introduced, I believe, as a Christian, or at least she carried. I think she had a cross with her. She wor- She was working for the church. That's what okay. She was a okay. Shepherd. Yeah. So there was that immediate tension of okay, we're we're working yeah. with a person who's you know immediately a threat to us. Um, the the resolution of the arc, I I completely agree. It was just sort of, yeah, Holo saves the day, and that's the end of it. There's no real lesson learned. But if you want to take a look, uh, aside from plot, uh, just examine sort of character development. If you're complaining that uh, Holo has a tendency to act as like a child most of the time, more of a childish act would just be to rip asunder whoever she was jealous of, aside from let her live and protect her, despite, you know, feelings to the contrary, which kind of reminded me on a very big side note, uh, one of the last episodes of Speed Graffer where Ginza uh, protects uh, the, the younger girl that she knows her man's like into. Um, I, I found that really touching. Um, hmm. You know, just that, that image of the huge hulking wolf with the, the enemy in her mouth and sort of glaring at this girl who she knows she wants to kill and not. And that was a very, very uh, empathetic moment. Hmm. Yeah. You know, like I, I think what didn't work for me with that, uh, you, you, you make a very good point that in retrospect, I think I agree with, but I think she said, when she said to Lawrence, like, don't get close because I, you know, I might kind of lose control and get angry and kill people uh, when I'm in the wolf form. And then to have her just be faced with somebody who she, to, and to have killed a bunch of people and then be faced with someone who she actually doesn't like and then to just not kill her at all. And there wasn't even like a hesitation. I think she, she like lunged at her and then didn't kill her and like didn't even try to kill her. I think she like leapt over her and did something different was just didn't it didn't feel right to me it would have felt i i think i i may have agreed with you a little bit more if she had uh kind of had this moment of like wanting to kill nora and then not doing it and that would have kind of given that sense that she had pulled back i remember getting uh the feeling that ink did about that she made a choice not to kill her even though she could have and i got the impression that it was because she respected lawrence's mm feelings about the matter, which shows a lot more maturity than we had seen from her thus far. So I, I think Ink really hits the nail on the head what is one of the few virtues of that ending arc. But again, I, I just I have such a... I just don't remember most of this. Damn. There was actually a really good... Um, I, I really liked the little romantic thing at the end uh, where they're kind of like... like they're, Lawrence is teasing Holo, because Holo teases him a lot and he does some teasing back. But... Uh, it's where she's asking whose whose name he called during uh oh, yeah. during the final scene. And then he kind of like says it was Holo's name, but then kind of switches back and forth, and then she says, like, okay, one last chance, you're gonna say like the, the truth, and then like right as a bell rings, he he says it. And that was like a really uh, yeah. nice touch. I those I while I do think that Holo is sometimes really uh immature. There are like a lot of the scenes where they tease each other are really great, and they and she is kind of very mischievous and and considerably uh, more mature, especially like in the dub, she gets depicted as a uh, as slightly more mature just with the way the voice acting goes. Uh, and I think those scenes are really those are some of my favorite scenes in the show because they're they're pretty entertaining and you get a sense for the the two characters and how they work off of each other. They're definitely the driving force. If if you were to rely on the economics themselves just to push the series along yeah. in terms of you know development, it would be not unentertaining because <laughs> I, I I'm not an economics guy by any means. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. But I don't think they had the power to drive the series as much as the interaction between the main characters and the economics do. Jeez, just how nerdy is this show? Not only. <laughs> Is there a wolf girl as the main character? Not only is this a Japanese cartoon, but it's a Japanese cartoon about a wolf girl and microeconomics. <laughs> Medieval microeconomics. Okay, what I think I think <laughs> I think we want to wrap this up. I we haven't talked about the animation. I don't think it's very good. Uh, it it does what it can with what seems to be pretty limited animation. Uh, so it doesn't look bad. It just looks very simple. Um, so there are some touches that I really like, like it does a little bit of like a, a super subtle version of, um, 
uh, Gankutsuo, that whole thing with like the the textures. Um, if anybody's ever seen that weird textile design, <laughs> you guys have, have seen it, I'm sure. Yeah. And so I've seen it in some uh, anime since then, where it's like there's this sort of design that doesn't quite look like it's the like the texture is made for the surface, like it's just sort of a flat texture applied to the surface. And even if that's done for cost-saving measures, it looks kind of cool, and it gives the show a weird, kind of interesting character to the animation. Um, there are lots of, like, pans over static shots and things like that, but I I, th- I think it's got an atmosphere to it, even if it's, like, very limited, very low frame rate animation. And sometimes it, it gets nice, but that's kind of rare. <laughs> what do you guys think? Um... I want to give credit to uh, Brainspace, who handled the animation for the second season. Uh, Even though Brainspace um, doesn't do sequels, they did handle this sequel's animation. And uh, the animation itself, as in the movement of the characters, isn't that great. Uh, The characters are occasionally Mm -hmm. off-model. The movements aren't that spectacular. But the backgrounds uh, for the second season are yeah. quite excellent for a uh, TV series. And it really... Because Spice and Wolf, we didn't talk enough about this, but it has a, a very detailed and fairly fascinating world with yeah. a lot of cultural touches, especially in the second season when there's a harvest festival that's going on there. And uh, nobody actually explicitly explains what this festival is or what it's about, but you can kind of gather from what you're seeing it's quite fun to watch and kind of guess at what the significance of uh, statues and masks and uh, men dressed up as black splashing water um, and uh, colored water on each other, uh, what what all that is about. I absolutely hate whenever reviews feel like they have to mention things like animation and background music just so that the review can be quote-unquote complete, when <laughs> often most animation isn't worth mentioning. For the most part, the animation in Spice and Wolf um, it's not worth mentioning. It, yeah. It's a it's very much a, a modern TV series quality, but the backgrounds uh, that Brain Base did in the second season mm. um, are pretty excellent. Yeah, and I think the second season continues that that texturing style that I kind of liked um, from what I saw. I saw like two episodes of it, and I I do have to say I I like the the music and the art direction in general in the show. I think it, it definitely gives it a, a sense of of atmosphere that like even if the animation is is pretty limited, like you you get a feel for the world through uh, the music and, and stuff. I, it's got like mm-hmm. some flute music and stuff, I think, which I, I really liked. Okay, but the the flute, I, I will have to say, got on my nerves to the nth degree just <laughs> because they'd use it as filler any time they'd start talking economics. And it's like, I'm <laughs> Pavlov, because as soon as I... I uh, one of those dogs, because as soon as the flute started going, I was like, okay, a trilly golden coin is worth five so silver coins. And, um, oh my God, there's a pop quiz tomorrow. Uh, and, and oh, the a, leitmotif backfires. Oh, and it, it was an endless loop of the same, like, four bars of flute music, and I wanted to strangle that. I mean, I like the sound of a classic flute, I really do, and I thought it lent a great air to the, the, the uh, tone of the, the series, but my God, hire someone to write an entire score. <laughs> I seem to remember, though, that the second season had a much more robust score. That might, I, I wonder if that's because a Flying Dog handled the production. That might and, have been. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, as, as the, uh, the only thing I'll add on animation, though, is um, uh, yeah, the, there's, the backgrounds are gorgeous. I've always enjoyed watching uh, the characters move in them and not necessarily watching the characters move. But what I did love about the characters was the, the attention to facial gestures, just every little minute smirk and raise of eyebrow wasn't overly accentuated. It was kept nice and subtle and very slight. And that's what I kind of, kind of, uh, exemplifies the, the characters back and forth. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let's uh, wrap this up then with just kind of final overall opinions of the show, kind of rec- just recommending whether people should watch it or not. Let's start with Bradley. Even though I've spent most of this time defending the show, I think it's far from perfect. And actually, I actually agree with you in some respects um, about some aspects of Hollow's character that uh, don't quite match up, even though 
I was defending it there. It was more for the sake of entertainment than anything else, <laughs> to be quite honest. I have a more nuanced opinion than I was getting across, is what I'm trying to say. It's a flawed show, but it's not flawed enough to stop it from being entertaining. And perhaps most importantly, it's unique. There's really nothing else like it. And I'm not just speaking in terms of anime, in terms of entertainment. It, it does things that I haven't seen elsewhere. It takes uh, risks with the concept of the show. If you watch anime because you like to watch uh, weird, unique things, check it out. If you like anime because you like character-driven shows, uh, check it out. I think uh, it's a bit of an underappreciated gem. Ink? Don't get turned off by the fact that there's a partially nude 16-year-old girl with fox ears and tail. She's only nude for the entire first episode, don't worry. There's no um, nipples or vagina, so it's safe for that's kids. That's right. Exactly. That's how it works, right? <laughs> it, it, it's a bodysuit. Just keep telling yourself. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's funny above all else. There's legitimate humor despite endless amounts of talking. The, the pacing is very well laid out for an entire show based on economics and travel, which when you're a trader in between towns can't be all that entertaining. But the, uh, the dialogue back and forth is what really makes this watchable. Um, and certainly the situations written in for both characters to experience are just perfectly adept at exploiting both the characters' traits for better and worse which makes for great conflict throughout the show. So it's infinitely entertaining. I would probably not recommend this show to most people. I didn't hate it, but it's just, um, it's very, it's, it's like, as I think I said at the beginning, it's just kind of like it's middle of the road for me. I think if you're, if you're really into like romance, I think it get, it, it's got a really cool thing going for it. That's a little bit different from, you know, all the high school romance anime that you get. Holo and Lawrence are much more open about their attraction to each other than what you might come to expect from an anime romance, even though they kind of like dance around it. There's like a definite relationship developing. And I thought that was that was really cool. That really drove me. The characters themselves, I don't think are that that great, but their relationship really drives the show. The economics are sort of interesting. So I, I would say it's definitely it's worth giving a try, uh, at least like the watching a the first few episodes. And I think, Bradley, as you said, it, it's a very unique show, and that, that's definitely really true. And I think that's what makes it worth giving a try, even though I didn't think it was too great. Because it's just, it's not really like a lot of other anime that you're going to see. So, uh, Should I be sorry that I made you sit through this? Uh, oh, no, it's fine. I'm, I'm totally cool with watching anything, because it gives me a chance to talk about it. <laughs> and uh, I possibly <laughs> love talking about anime more than watching it, so... <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's, it's definitely pretty middle of the road, but, uh, it's, it's worth seeing if you enjoy it. I think, uh, as you can see from this, there's a pretty wide range of, um, of opinions on the show, depending on, on differing tastes between people. So, uh, yeah, give it, give it an episode or two. If you, if you really hate Holo, then it's not for you. <laughs> That's about it, I guess. So, uh. So this is the awkward ending. Where That's we right. Very slowly, try and end this. Very slowly, we're actually going to slow down the audio here. Oh, um, goodbye. We'll talk slowly, and then I'll speed it up in post. Uh, okay, this podcast is over. <laughs> uh, so you can email us at podcast at com, and you can tell us how Holo is your waifu or how you hate Holo or anything else that you want to say about <laughs> Spice and Wolf or anything else. You can also visit us at podcast.anygamers.com. We have uh, blog posts and show notes, uh, comment threads, all that good stuff. You can visit www.anygamers.com, which is our main blog, uh, and it has coverage of anime, manga, and video games. We are all on Twitter, uh, Anygamers. The official Twitter account is uh, A-N-I Gamers. I am Vamptvo, V-A-M-P-T-V-O. And I guess I should tell people what I tweet about. That's what you guys did last time. <laughs> tweet about anime and like music sometimes, that too. How goddamn busy you are. Oh, that's yes uh, about all my work and I tweet about my school so that's going to be really interesting not I don't do it too much though so don't worry <laughs> so uh so ink uh, what are you on Twitter I am poetic underscore ink and I 
tweet about a lot of random crap, so don't follow me unless you want to get flooded with random silliness. He tweets poems. That's pretty cool. Random poems. So, Bradley? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bradley C. Meek. For the most part, I talk about cartoons. You might also catch me talking about video games and gasp politics. <gasps> How dare he? We'd love it if you reviewed us on iTunes, uh, preferably like a five-star review. If you have a one-star review, you can just write that down on a piece of paper and then put that up like and then burn it. <laughs> on your refrigerator or something, but you don't need to put that on iTunes. And we'll uh, all clap and say, yay, he hates us. <laughs> or you could like send us an email about how much you hate us, but don't, don't tell the rest of the world. They don't want to know. Uh, you can also like us on Facebook. You cannot dislike us on Facebook, so that's good for us. It's like we're trying to game the system here. <laughs> like, what's the point of an iTunes review anymore? <laughs> well, the point of an iTunes Fuck review it. is if you like us, you have to let other people know. <laughs> oh. You can also like us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. Just look up Annie Gamers, and then you'll... Yeah, I think our Twitter account posts to Facebook. So if you don't like Twitter for some reason, if you're like a bad person and you hate Twitter, then you can follow us on Facebook. Yeah, that, that's it. This podcast is over. It's, uh, it's taking way too long to end. Uh, <laughs> I had two episodes that have been way too long. I blame Bradley. Yeah, that, that's it. I regret nothing. <laughs> Nor should you. Grilled cheese is cheesy flip flip. <laughs> Funyuns are stank rain, stank wings. That is so true. English muffins are Brit bagels. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, Elliot.